Father, we, we need to hear more than the voice of a man. Mine is not the voice that the people in this room and those listening over the radio or the internet need to hear, Father. We need to hear your voice. We need you to speak to us. And so we are gathering in this room around your word so that you would speak to our hearts. And so I am asking you, Father, be the one who speaks. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher to guide us into truth. And Father, may you shape and transform us into the likeness of Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are translating this sermon into Spanish right now. God, that you would give grace to those translators. Father, that they would be filled with your spirit and that you would speak to those who are listening in their heart language right now. And Father, we know we're not the only church in town. We're not the only people gathered. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to lead your people in this community and around this nation and literally the world to use the freedom we've been granted in Jesus to know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask all of these things in the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Matthew chapter five? Matthew chapter five. Uh, there is a, uh, an experience that is so common, I am certain that everyone in this room has had it. And I'm talking about the experience of wanting something really badly, pursuing it, getting it, and then being disappointed once you've gotten it. Anyone ever had that experience? I'll tell one from my life, since I know you're wondering. Quite a few years ago, I I saw an advertisement on television for a product called the ShamWow. Now, I'm sure that many of you may have seen the same advertisement. The commercial made the ShamWow seem like it was the most absorbent material on planet Earth. It could soak up any spill. It could clean up every mess. Basically, if you wanted to drain your pool, throw a couple ShamWows in there. They'll just soak the water up right away. So don't ask me why. I wanted a ShamWow so badly because I really don't remember, but my loving wife decided to surprise me with my very own ShamWows. I was so excited. I took one out and I just waited for someone to spill something. And when you live in a house with small children, it was about 30 seconds I had to wait and then it happened. I sprang into action, ShamWow in hand. And here's a little piece of advice for everyone in the room today. Never, ever trust a product with the word sham in the name. (laughs) I began to wipe up the spill, but it wasn't really wiping it up at all. I was smearing around the spill. Literally, my hand was soaking up more liquid than the sham wow. So I tried harder. I thought, maybe if I just press in a little bit more, but still no result. Just a moderately wet cloth and a really messy floor. And you can imagine I wasn't satisfied. I was actually very disappointed in the ShamWow. Who thought someone on TV would lie about a product? I kept asking myself, is there, is there something I'm missing here? I mean, am I not doing it right? 
I, I, there's got to be something more than this. Finally, I put the ShamWows in a drawer where they've remained. And when I want to keep my children occupied for several hours, I spill something on the floor and tell them to wipe it up with a ShamWow because I know it will keep them as busy as it takes that spill to air dry. But that's not the point. We've all had that experience. We've wanted something only to get what we thought we wanted and not be satisfied by it. And it's true for all kinds of people. It's true about the businessman who worked his entire life pursuing a financial dream only to retire and think there's got to be something more than this. I am not satisfied. It's true for the athlete who pursued success in their sport only to win the championship and and think there's got to be something more than this. I am not satisfied. It's true for every teenager who wants popularity and acceptance and pursues it by trying to fit in with the crowd only to leave unsatisfied. It's true for the lonely spouse who wants attention and affection and pursues it in an affair only to find it doesn't satisfy. And friends, I have been preaching the gospel of Jesus for over 20 years and have had the privilege of speaking with literally thousands of people around this country. And there is a sad reality There are many people who would describe their experience in so-called Christianity the way I experienced that shamwell. They expected to be able to clean up the mess in their lives only to feel bitter disappointment. So they try harder. They attempt to press in more and these questions swirl around their minds. Is there something I'm missing I mean, am I, am I not doing it right? There's got to be something more than this. And friend, if you have had anything like that experience going on in you, then I want you to know I praise God that you are in this place this morning because that voice in your heart that says there's more to it than this is the voice of Jesus inviting you into what he has in store for his people and what Jesus has for his people will not leave you disappointed. Look at Matthew chapter five and verse six. These are the words of Christ and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Guys, here's your satisfaction guarantee. Right in the middle of these beatitudes we've been studying over the last few weeks, Jesus makes this promise to people who are in his kingdom. He says, you will not be disappointed. You won't go away empty. You'll be satisfied. And if you've not been here the last few weeks, this is a section of the Bible known as the Beatitudes. It's found in the middle or at the very beginning of the the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section, Jesus is describing what kind of person is going to live in his kingdom. It's the kind of person who will receive the blessings of the kingdom of heaven even while they're here on this earth. And what you'll notice is that his descriptions of a blessed 
kingdom person are the exact opposite of what the religious leaders of his time were promising the people around them. As a matter of fact, they're the exact opposite of many things that our world seems to believe. First, Jesus says that in order to be blessed in his kingdom, you have to know that you're spiritually bankrupt. You bring nothing to the table but brokenness. And then he says you have to mourn over sin, yours and all that you see in this world in order to be comforted by his grace. And then last week, what we saw is that it's not the person who looks out for themselves that gets ahead. It's the meek that will inherit the earth. And now another upside down sounding promise. He says, blessing come to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we want to spend the rest of our time talking about what that means this morning. So let's start with that word righteousness. Now, that's a churchy sounding word that most of us are familiar with, but I'm not sure many people realize what it means. That word righteousness means moral uprightness or moral correctness. It's a word that's synonymous with being just or or right with a moral or legal standard. So when a judge upholds a law in a courtroom decision, he's considered just and is acting in alignment with justice. And in the same way, righteousness is upholding the moral law of God. And even though the people of our culture will tell you otherwise, you and I don't get to determine what morality is. Morality, moral correctness is determined by God's moral character and it's revealed in God's moral law. And God's moral law is absolutely perfect and totally free from sin. And so there are two primary ways that the Bible then is is describing the life of someone who's righteous. Because righteous is saying someone's in alignment with God's perfect character. Sometimes the Bible uses the word righteousness to describe a person's character, who they are. The other way the Bible talks about righteousness is to describe a person's conduct, what they do. So righteous can either describe who you are or it can describe what you do, character or conduct. And so the question becomes, what's Jesus talking about here in Matthew 5, 6? Our character or our conduct? Well, look down in chapter 5, verse 20, and I want to show you a couple clues of what I believe Jesus means with righteousness. Chapter 5, verse 20 says this, for I tell you, unless, now look at this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees who are the most devoutly religious people on the face of the earth, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Stop right there. When you continue on in his teaching, you find that verse 20 is a summary over this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the next verses, the, 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 the six paragraphs that Jesus gives after verse 20, it seems like Jesus is referring to the kind of righteousness that we do. As a matter of fact, you see, he's actually calling his people to live with a kind of righteous action, a kind of righteous living that is a higher standard than even the scribes and the Pharisees. So he says this, it's not enough just to not murder. You can't just not kill your neighbor and be righteous. I know some of you feel like that's a really high bar, but Jesus says you have to refrain from unrighteous anger. 
It's not enough to not commit adultery. You have to be freed from the, 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 the thing in your heart that even causes you to look at someone with impure thoughts. And all the way down to verses 43 and 44 where he says, it's not enough for you to love your friends. You have to love your enemies as well. Florida Gator fans, you're called to love the Seminoles. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Just kidding. So it seems like in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about being righteous in our conduct, how we live toward one another. But I want you to notice how he rounds out the section in verse 48. He says in 548, you therefore must, now look at this phrase, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And he means what he's saying. So his summary of the righteousness that you do isn't merely what you do. He says it's who you are. You must be perfect. Righteousness, guys, starts in the heart. Motives matter. The condition of your heart, who you are at the deepest part of you matters. Why you do righteous looking things determines whether or not that thing is actually righteousness. So if the question on the table is, what is Jesus describing when he says righteousness in the Beatitudes in verse six? Righteous character or righteous conduct? You know my answer? My answer is yes. Both. I believe it's both because Jesus doesn't separate the two. As a matter of fact, you can't separate the two. Who you are determines what you do. And what you do will show up as an expression of who you are. Character produces conduct, and conduct reveals character. And when you keep that in mind, that righteousness is who I am, and righteousness is what I do, at first glance, that makes what Jesus says in our beatitude this morning sound like really bad news, because the Bible is super clear as it concerns righteousness. And you know what the Bible says about righteousness in our lives? We've all blown it. Romans chapter three, listen to this, says in verses nine and 10, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is, listen to this, no one righteous, not even one. No one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, a few verses later, says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the glory of God is his holiness or his perfect righteousness. And friend, some of you may be in a church gathering for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, and I don't know what your preconceived ideas are about people in a church, but let me just make one thing really clear right now. This is not a gathering of people who have lived perfectly righteous lives. This is a room full of people who have shattered the moral law of God. I joked with the first service, visitors, you are among the biggest sinners in town. And we're actually thinking of making that the catchphrase to First Baptist Church, Merritt Island. We're 
printing up bumper stickers now. No, I'm kidding. Jesus doesn't offer his blessing to people who think they're righteous because he's the only one in that category. Think carefully what he's saying here. Look back at chapter five, verse six. Blessed are those not who claim to be righteous. And it's not even blessed are those who are righteous. It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Guys, the blessing isn't promised to those who claim to be righteous in their character and conduct. It's a blessing to those who hunger for righteousness, who thirst for righteousness in their character and their conduct. And just think about what Jesus is saying here. You've all been hungry and thirsty, so you know what hunger and thirst actually are. Some of you are so hungry right now, you're just wondering, when will he be done talking? And I really never know, so you'll find out when I do. But the question is this, and you don't have to answer it. When are you hungry? You know, you're hungry when you need food. Even more specifically, you're hungry when you need food that is outside your body to get inside your body. Hunger indicates that you need something that isn't already in you. When you're thirsty, when you need water. Even more specifically, when you need water in the form of coffee that is outside your body to get inside your body. Thirst indicates you need something that isn't already in you. And Jesus says, the blessings of his kingdom come to those who have that kind of thing going on inside of them as it relates to righteousness. The blessing of Jesus comes when we deeply desire to be right in our character and do right in our conduct. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness that we know we need and we know we don't already have in us. There's one more thing you need to know about this righteousness. Jesus isn't just saying that you want to be a little bit better. He's not just saying you want to be a little bit better than the people around you or even a little bit better than you've been in your life. I learned something interesting about the language Jesus is using here. In the original language, when someone was saying that they were hungry for something, it was proper in the language that the Bible is written in for someone to add the word of to describe what they were hungry for. For instance, instead of saying, I'm hungry for bread, they would say, I'm hungry for of bread. It was similar to saying I'm hungry for some bread. And the reason they would do that is because if you said I'm hungry for bread without adding that extra word, it would sound like you meant you were hungry for all the bread in the world, which is exactly what I mean when I say I'm hungry for Chipotle. But that's another story entirely. When Jesus says, though, in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, there's something really interesting. He doesn't add that word of. He isn't saying that the desire is for some righteousness, for just a little bit more righteousness. 
He's saying that the desire's for all of it. He's saying that, that blessed are those who want all of the righteousness that God himself has. And that's what differentiates this beatitude from everything I know, or for, for something everyone I know would naturally say. Everyone I know would naturally say they want to be better. Everyone I know wants some kind of improvement. But this isn't a blessing for people who just want some kind of improvement or just want some righteousness. It's not about being a little bit better than your neighbor. It's not about being a little bit better than your parents or your family of origin. It's not about doing a little bit more. It's about becoming, it's more than just becoming a slightly improved better of your, version of yourself. It's about wanting it all. It's about desiring to think and feel and act and become like Jesus himself. And guys, when you realize that that's what Jesus is referring to, the road to blessing starts to narrow significantly because there are only a few options when you desire to have that kind of righteous perfection. First, you can think that you're already there on your own. If you have that temptation, talk to your spouse They'll break you out of the disillusion right away. That thing is called self-righteousness. And it's the disease of the religious crowd that finally killed Jesus. If you think you're good to go, just like you've always been, the Bible's clear, you are condemned already. You are on a road to condemnation, not blessing. So you can think you're already there on your own or you can know that you aren't already perfectly righteous and you want to be, but you think you can get there on your own. That's also called self-righteousness. Or there's a third option. You can know you aren't already perfectly righteous in your character and your conduct, but you want to be, you desire that kind of righteousness and you know you can't get there on your own, so you do something. And the thing the Bible calls us to do is to turn our attention to King Jesus to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And when you turn to Jesus with your hunger and thirst for righteous character and righteous conduct, read Matthew 5, six again with that in mind. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that way, for they shall be filled. Jesus makes a satisfaction guaranteed promise. He promises to satisfy the deepest desire your heart has for righteousness. He promises he will make that happen in you. That phrase, they shall be satisfied. It's in the passive voice. What that means is it's something that's done to you, not something that's done by you. And that word satisfied is a word that described feeding animals out in a pasture. They'd be taken out, they would be fed until they were totally full. That's why some translations actually say they will be filled and not they will be satisfied because both describe the same thing. You won't leave the table hungry. For instance, last week, Emily made me a beef roast with mashed potatoes and all the fixings. Now, 
Emily's beef roast is legendary. And I knew she was making it for me. And so all day long, there were these butterflies of excitement in me. I told you before, at some point in time, Thanksgiving is my personal Super Bowl. Well, beef roast night is my all-star game. I show up to shine on beef roast night. I was hungry. Emily had worked her culinary magic. I pulled up to the table. Um, The next 30 minutes or so were a bit of a blur, but I left fully and completely satisfied. The only thing that was undone was my belt. But all I'm saying, I need more elastic in my life. But Jesus is using that concept to describe what he will do to and for all who come to him with their hunger and thirst for righteousness. He promises he will satisfy you. He will fill you. And a great deal of the New Testament is written to tell us how he does it. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans chapter 3. I quoted from Romans 3 earlier where it says near the beginning in verses 9 and 10, that there's no one, not even one of us who's righteous. Verse 23, that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I want you to hear the good news in Romans chapter 3 about how it is that Jesus satisfies our hunger for righteousness. Romans chapter 3, beginning in, in verse 21, says now a righteousness a moral rightness in our character, a moral rightness for our conduct, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, which is a reference to our obeying all the commands, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, look it, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And look at verse 24. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Friend, do you hear that? When you come to Jesus through faith, hungering and thirsting for something you know you don't have already in you, something you want and can't make happen on your own, righteousness, right standing before God, right conduct in his eyes, being, doing, right. When you come to Jesus like that, you are given righteousness through faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. Your character and your conduct are morally right by the power of God's gracious gift to you through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the heart of Christianity. That's the truth of the gospel. Friend, Jesus Christ came to this earth And he lived a perfectly righteous life because we couldn't. And he died a sacrificial death on our behalf as a payment for our sin. And by faith, we trust that Jesus is able and willing to save us and make us perfectly right and keep us perfectly right before God. That's what Romans 3 means by the word justified. It's the declaration of God, the just judge, 
who in the courtroom of heaven declares that we are just in regard to his moral law, in regard to his holiness and righteousness, and we are made righteous through the forgiveness and redemption of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us his righteousness. How righteous are you when you trust in Jesus? You are as righteous as Jesus. You want proof? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, by his death, took our sin The Father placed your sin, my sin, your unrighteousness on Jesus. He paid for our sin when he died on the cross. So when we come to Jesus, God can not only take our sin and place it on Jesus, he can take the perfect righteousness of Jesus and place it in and on us. When God looks at us in Jesus, he sees the very righteousness of Christ which means the judge of the universe can declare you not guilty, innocent, righteous, because you're really made righteous as you trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Friends, listen to me. Listen, Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. One more time. Jesus is our righteousness. I I hope, I pray that you rejoice in that. I really do. But I want to revisit something I said at the beginning. There are many people who have heard that Jesus died on the cross for their sin, that he rose again from the grave and that by grace he will save them through faith. They have heard that truth and would still say they have been unsatisfied. Their version of so-called Christianity has felt a whole lot like my sham-wow experience. They still are living with a mess And they're working their fingers to the bone, trying to clean up the mess of their lives and are wondering, am I missing something? Am I not doing it right? There's gotta be something more than this. So what gives? I'll tell you what gives. Many, many people have been given half of the gospel. They've been given the half that says Jesus forgives. Jesus pays the penalty for sin. Jesus sets us on a right path with God. But they never hear the other half of the gospel. They hear that your righteous character can be given by Christ, but your righteous conduct is up to you. And they come to believe that they have to work really hard in themselves to clean up their their own lives. 
In order to be righteous, they, they feel the need to drum up strength in themselves to keep pressing in over and over and over again in their own power. And then they fill in the blank of all the things they think they have to do to seem righteous. Church activity, attendance, participation, Bible reading, Bible study, Bible memorization. The list goes on and on and only grows. But 60 seconds ago, I just repeated the gospel three different times. Jesus is our righteousness all of it Jesus gives us his grace and power to transform our character to be righteous and and Jesus gives us his righteous power his grace to transform our conduct as well. It's all by grace from Jesus. So in a way, when you come to Matthew 5, 6, you can read, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus. Because all our righteous character and conduct, who I am and what I do is all dependent on the gracious gift of God through the powerful work of Jesus. And when that is the case, you will be satisfied because Bible reading is no longer about making your righteousness better because you can't make Jesus better. It's about encountering our righteousness who is Jesus? Bible study isn't about making our righteousness better because you can't make Jesus better. It's about encountering our righteousness. Who is Jesus? Bible memorization, activity in a local church, serving in a ministry. When those things are done as an attempt to improve your righteousness, they will never satisfy and they will not improve your righteousness because you can't improve Jesus. He is our righteousness. So it all comes by grace through faith in the life and power of Jesus, which means this, Jesus never promised to satisfy people who hunger and thirst for religion. And so if you're hungry and thirsty to just be religious, he will not satisfy that. And Jesus never promised to satisfy people who hunger and thirst for recognition. And so if you want to be recognized as being righteous in your own power, Jesus will not satisfy that. And Jesus never promised to satisfy those who hunger and thirst for riches or for entertainment or for leisure or for conformity to our culture. Jesus never promised to satisfy those who come to him for righteousness and then spend the rest of their lives hungering and thirsting for everything else in this world that isn't Jesus. He didn't promise to satisfy that. He promised to satisfy those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and come to him again and again and again because Jesus himself is our righteousness. So friend, if you're hungry and thirsty this morning for righteousness, 
righteousness, for being and doing what is right in the eyes of God. Even if you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years, that voice inside of your heart that's saying there's more to it than this is not an accusation that Jesus isn't satisfying or satisfied with you. It's an invitation from Jesus that he will satisfy you and he will make you satisfying in the sight of God if you will place your faith and trust in him because he is our righteousness. So blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for more because it's saying I'm hungry and thirsty for Jesus and when you are hungry and thirsty for Jesus you will not be disappointed before we go into the rest of our day let's spend a few moments in reflection and response to the truth so would you would you bow your heads with me and think for a moment about what's going on in your own heart. Pray for the Holy Spirit to stir up what should be going on in your heart. Some of you may have come to realize that you are not right with God because who you are and what you do is rooted in sin. And every effort to clean your life up has only failed. But you're hungry to be right with God. And you're hungry to live right in the eyes of God. Would you come to Jesus today in faith, believing and trusting the gift of his righteous life, the power of his forgiveness for sin, the power of his resurrection to live a life pleasing to God? Would you come to Jesus? Even now, if you've never called on Jesus to save you, right now, right where you are, would you call on Jesus to save, confessing your sin and acknowledging his ability to make you right and keep you right with God? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you've got this hunger and thirst for righteousness in a specific area of your life. And rather than going out into the rest of your day trying your hardest to make yourself right, would you bring that desire for that kind of righteousness to Jesus and acknowledge that you need him and you need his power to satisfy righteousness in you? Would you commit to step out in faith into that righteousness believing he will satisfy And maybe you're a follower of Jesus but would have to admit that you feel hungry and thirsty for the stuff of this world in a way you should desire Jesus and his righteousness. And whatever that thing may be that you find building an appetite in your heart, would you bring that and lay it down? Would you confess to Jesus that you want him and that you want to want him and ask for his grace, his power to raise you up in righteousness today. Father, we know we do not bring anything but brokenness to the table. 
And Father, it grieves us to think of how broken we are in our character, who we are, and in our conduct, what we do. And we confess, Father, in humility that we can't, we can't make ourselves right. All of the resolves of our life, attempting to make ourselves better, to do better and be better, have all failed, God. And we acknowledge we need Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would allow our hearts to rejoice today because we don't just need Jesus, Father. We have him. You have so loved this world that you gave us Jesus. So Lord, we praise you that we're made righteous in our character because of Jesus as a response as a work of your grace through faith. And we praise you, Father, that we are made righteous in our conduct, what we do, as a work of your grace through faith in Jesus. Praise you for Jesus who has paid it all and does the work in us. Lord, we love you and we bless your name and ask it in Jesus' name, amen.